0: Good evening, afternoon, night, morning, wherever you find a, watch, find a way to watch or listen to this podcast, we are back. That means it's all—it's actually eight days from the start of the season. Hardware is back. We did some off-season work and everything, you know, but, I mean, this year kind of flew by. I can't believe it's already August, you know, I mean, life goes by, I cherish every day. But Jax and I are back for the 2023 season, which will mark our, I think, fourth season of Hardware, I believe. I believe this is now our fourth year.
1: Geez, time flies. I did not. Wow, you are correct. This is the uh the embarking of the journey of the, the fourth season that we've done our hardware five if you count the FCS spring season, although I don't, but um man, that's crazy. I'm uh I'm excited for it, man. This is it's awesome.
0: Yeah, so we are close to the season. So for week zero, we got we got a light slate as always, but that does not mean it does not lack any intrigue. Because there is plenty of intrigue this weekend: a couple neutral site games, a couple Power Five games, and a couple of uh, dark horses that you will you know that will become household names after week zero. So before we start talking about the games, Jackson, I mean, what, who is your fa- who are your top three favorites for the Heisman, and then three dark horses for the Heisman Trophy?
1: Um so I would like to start off with saying i am I am gravely disappointed in uh in Disney media and ESPN college game day for not going to Ireland to avenge the game day that we lost back in 2020 from covid, right So game day was and it was announced months beforehand that they were going to Ireland for I believe I believe it might have been Notre Dame maybe actually was 2020 study. yeah 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 for 2020. Um, Izzy and I bought stuff on clearance from St. Patrick's Day in preparation for the event. Like it was going to be a whole ordeal. And then um, obviously last year we were not given that with Northwestern Northwestern in Nebraska. And then this year we're not given it. We're probably gonna get the same old, like old-fashioned on Zoom college game day uh that we got last year for week zero. So it is disappointing. What else can you do? Um, but I was I was looking forward to that, and instead we're you know just gonna get four boxes on the screen, not including David Pollock. So, um, but uh, but yeah, they've already announced that they're going to the the Duke's Mayo Kickoff Classic, uh, with North Carolina in uh, South Carolina for Week One. So I'll go ahead, and I'll move on though. Um, to the question asked. Um, I found it interesting when I looked up Heisman Betting Odds that Caleb Williams is like the favorite right now. Um, only because back to back Heisman's are so rare. And I don't know that Caleb Williams is the I'm not saying he's not a phenomenal talent, he certainly is, but I don't know that he is the talent to uh to deserve back to back expectation. If that makes sense, right? That's one thing. To win it back to back, it's almost more impressive. But it's it's its own level to have the expectation of going back to back and being the Heisman betting favorite. Uh, certainly implies that that is the expectation. So Caleb Williams is certainly on my top three. I, I can't really decide in any particular pecking order. Um, I do want to. I do want to talk a little bit about Quinn Ewers and get your opinion on him. Um, Obviously, he was a phenomenal talent going to Ohio State, had that huge dealership uh, NIL deal, and then moved on to UT Austin. And it wasn't a guarantee that he was going to get the starting position with Arch Manning joining on campus, um, despite him losing his campus ID about five times. Do you have any idea, like, or I want to get your opinion, like, do you think Quinn Ewers is like a a legitimate Heisman candidate at Texas and their last season in the Big 12 or – do you think that's just kind of like name brand?
0: So I think this year with Texas, like the expectation is almost that Texas will win the big 12. Um, that's almost the expectation. And I do agree with it, to be honest with you, <laughs> Oklahoma. I mean, they, they regressed last year. Even then, I, I don't think they're the top echelon in the big 12, TCU lost Max Duggan, you know, so that's always, that's always a huge loss. So when you lose your quarterback on a national title team, it's uh, two. So, and they also, I'm pretty sure they also lost um, their leading receiver, too, first-round draft pick. I don't watch Power 5 much, so I can't really say these guys by name. Um, You, you know who I'm talking about, Jackson? First-round draft pick for TCU, the wide receiver. He was drafted by the Chargers, I believe.
1: Uh, Quentin Johnson, I believe. Yes, is the, yes, correct. Quentin Johnson. Yeah, Quentin Johnson,
0: so, yeah. TCU was losing a lot there, too, so. I say, I say yes, absolutely, if uh, Texas runs the table, which it, I'm not going to say there's a high chance that they will run the table and go 12-0 in the regular season. Uh, I also wouldn't sell Kansas State short in that conference as well. Um, but, you know, I feel like the difference between Quinn Ewers and um, uh, Will Howard for uh, Kansas State is just that, you know, Kansas State isn't uh, – is, they're not Texas. Kansas State plays a great brand of football, but it's not exactly, like, flashy and conducive to quarterbacks um unless you're colin klein but i mean i do think Quinn is he's not my top three honestly i'm tempted i was tempted to put like my top three being all pack 10 all pack 12 quarterbacks to be honest because the pack 12 the quarterback playing the pack 12 was outstanding like you know um so but Quinn is definitely i can see him being in new york honestly
1: Two things to go off of you. One, when are we getting our Colin Klein Netflix untold documentary? We've already gotten the Manta Taylor one. We've already got the Johnny Manziel one. Can we just round it out with the 2012 Heisman race and just get a Colin Klein one? I mean, what's not interesting about being the offensive coordinator at Kansas State in Manhattan? Like I, I don't understand like why we haven't gotten that yet. Manhattan, Kansas to specify. Um, someone I can also picture in New York because he's already had his picture up there, Bo Nix. If you didn't see the the poster in New York City or the banner or billboard or whatever you want to call it that was played, already um already advocating for his Heisman campaign, um and, and really a, a beautiful apple green and neon yellow, um down in Manhattan. So, um Bo Nix, I don't I wouldn't put him in my top three. Um, I'm also looking. I always love looking over the the betting favorites just because Vegas doesn't mess around and you know usually these are pretty accurate uh kate klubnik michael Penix, obviously is a name that we've talked a lot about uh there's some some interesting some interesting names on uh on this so i wouldn't narrow it down to a top three my hope of a group of five heisman winner has had set sail so to speak not that i was optimistic before but it's just like Jay Kaner had arguably arguably like one of the most impressive group of five statistical performances um, in recent history and one senior bowl MVP had you know got drafted everything like the works for a group of five quarterback and not even like considered like not even really like genuinely looked at um for even you know a, a, a moment in time during the Heisman race so i'm i'm under no illusion that um that a group of five players is going to win it um i would like to someday see some representation in new york city but i think we're far away from uh a ways away from that to so uh remember all of the losers last year and uh, i shouldn't say losers i should say the three runner ups that got to go to new york city were all participating in the college football playoffs so there is a, a certain degree of team success that's expected and you don't always get that with um with group of five teams and if you do it's not just because of the quarterback as evidenced by sauce Gardner. so um but yeah man um how, how about you you probably have a, a more defined top three what are what are yours going into this 2023 season so my my top
0: three is uh I have Nix, actually not Bonix, sorry, Michael Penix. Michael Penix at number one. Um number two, I have Blake Corum for Michigan because I feel like right. Michigan's Michigan's just gonna run rough shot. I kind of feel oh, like Mike. Ohio State's kind of bound for a setback, and plus I honestly think Blake Coram would have won it had he not gotten injured against the Ohio State because you see what Donovan Edwards did last year against Ohio State. And, of course, Blake Horm could have done that and possibly more against the Buckeyes. Um, and that would have, just you know, that would have sent them to the Big Ten time. It wouldn't have sent them to the playoff. But then you look at the next week they had Purdue. That's probably, like, another 300 yards added on to Blake Horm's season totals. And I think he ended the season with 1,648 yards in 11.25 games. Barely that. So, you know, could have had 1,900 yards last year on a playoff team. I think that's the recipe for running back. Like, if you, if you think about – 2021 Kenneth Walker. Kenneth Walker was the front runner up until Michigan State decided that they couldn't play pass defense and um, let CJ Stroud throw I think four or five touchdowns in the first half or in the first quarter uh, and just you know you know made Kenneth Walker a non-factor in that game Um, so I definitely think that Blake Corum could um, definitely be uh, you know in New York and I think he could win it because Michigan just looks again like like another juggernaut this year number three i have bo Nicks, and i think bo Nicks and michael pennix are interchangeable because their teams play each other uh bo Nicks, i'm going to say i think bo Nicks has the most momentum of any player uh, with heisman talk or in the heisman conversation because you look at the holiday bowl nationally televised game on fox on primetime. doesn't get much better than that much a bigger stage for a non-new Year's six bowl uh playing against drake may in north carolina uh, Bo Nix took o- Oregon down the field in the last second and won that game against North Carolina against Drake May, a guy that was a Heisman dark horse last year. So uh, Bo Nix is riding that high. He is riding that high. People know Bo Nix is a household name and the, and the, and the billboard helps like, yes, it's 2023 and, You know, uh, a a highlight video uh, posted on Twitter works better. But the symbolism and the connection to Joey Harrington in 2001 is just so beautiful. And who votes on these awards? Awards writers do. And, you know, I guarantee there's a whole bunch of grumpy old writers. Who want to harken back to nostalgia of like a simpler time in college football twenty two years ago with Joey Harrington? So never underestimate the writers factor. I wonder if anyone's coined that term yet. The writers factor when it comes to um to Heisman because in in college football writing, college football writers are myth makers. You look at the four horsemen, the galloping ghosts, the nicknames, um, the whole practice of choosing a national champion without a head to head matchup. It's all myth making based in writing, which, I mean, it's a long tangent to say writers like stories and Bo Nix connecting to Joey Harrington you know, with the billboard in New York City is a great story.
1: I do want to point out how long of a way Bo Nix has come. Um, and I'll I'll use like a, a personal anecdote, I guess, to tell it. Um, The first, uh, for those of you who listen to Hardware and don't know, my fiance and I are getting married, I promise, not on a college football Saturday. Although it is the day after, uh, it's the Sunday of week one, uh, September 3rd, if you're not familiar with your calendar. So, um, uh, the first weekend that Izzy and I were not long distance or the first college football weekend, that Izzy and I were not long distance. We actually drove up to college game day. Uh, that was, it was a neutral site in Fort Worth, Oregon versus Auburn. Okay. This was before Bo Nix had transferred. Bo Nix was a quarterback at Auburn. He went 13 for 31, two interceptions. Yes, two touchdowns also that day. Um, Not an impressive performance to say the least, although Auburn did win that. If you had told me after that that, hey, um, you know, the weekend before your wedding or whatever, uh, we're talking about Bo Nix's Heisman candidacy, I I probably wouldn't have believed you. Um just because that was a terrible performance, but you know bonix said uh, uh what encompasses uh uh Bo Nix more than just like a roller coaster right like just the the journey that he's been through has been uh impressive, so um I'm curious to see how it will pan out beyond college i I hear uh reports of him being like... NFL scouts being majorly impressed although they aren't the decision makers right um scouts being like very impressed by bonix and then I hear reports of like he's barely a draftable grade so I guess we'll have to wait until uh uh Detroit in 2024 to find that out but yeah Bonix um you know what, what would be a more appropriate way to round out his uh his college career than to you know win the Heisman? um after all the ups and downs he's had so omar i don't know if you have anything to add to that but
0: no um, i mean i will add in a couple group of five guys um yeah, to watch absolutely. i mean you have michael pratt who uh, and frank harris god mentioned them both in the same sentence because they're now both in the same conference and today it's august 18th right as we're recording this uh let's let's see yeah the first the first yeah the first week of the season so every every day from september 2nd of this year all the way to black friday it's just a crash course to black friday where i firmly believe that tulane and utsa um might just play that that game might just be for a spot in the new year six honestly where you know the american title game it will happen but that game will be pretty much a playoff game for the new year six um Michael Pratt is probably the most draft-ready quarterback. This is the take that I had on Twitter. Michael Pratt is probably the most draft-ready quarterback, but I think Frank Harris has the highest ceiling of any quarterback in the group of five. Frank Harris is just amazing. I mean, an amazing dual threat, amazing leader for UTSA, Uh, has taken that program to just amazing heights over the past few years. Uh, And just, again, big things are coming again for UTSA in their first year in the American, which the American is essentially just... Conference USA 2.0. Well, I don't really expect much of a drop-off. Michael Pratt, on the other hand, I think uh, his Heisman hopes will be aided by two things. They play Ole Miss at Yeoman Stadium in late September, which it's kind of funny. There's a controversy with Ole Miss fans complaining that they only got 3,000 tickets to, you know, to the game at Yeoman, when I think Yeoman Stadium only sees 30,000. It's like they hadn't been paying attention to Tulane football since, you know, 2013, when they moved out of the Superdome, like, doesn't work that way. Tulane is filling their seats and they don't play in the Superdome anymore. But anyway, Jackson Dart versus Michael Pratt. And I, I'll also add Quinshawn Judkins, too, for that matter for Ole Miss. Like, uh, that's going to be a high-powered game. And if Michael Pratt can pull the victory, I definitely see his Heisman stock shooting up, especially if he can get Tulane to back-to-back uh, New Year's six appearances. And then also to the second thing helping him out, no Tajay Spears. Tajay Spears was amazing down the stretch. And I still believe if if uh Tulane gave uh Tajay's Tajay Sparks more uh more carries earlier in the season, then I definitely think he would have been a Heisman finalist, uh, with just the way that Tulane's season unfolded. Unfortunately, that's not what happened, but Michael Pratt's gonna have more of a more of a of a load. And I mean, I think um looking at the response, looking at how Tulane's offense was last year. If you look at the Cotton Bowl, I think um midway through the fourth quarter, like Michael Pratt's stat line was like three for eight for like 117 yards and like a touchdown which means just shows how dependent on the run game Tulane was. Not to say that Michael Pratt didn't do anything, but Tulane wants to run the ball. That's that's what they want to do. Willie Fritz uh, has always thrived at Sam Houston State and Georgia Southern with great run games. Um, no Tajay Spears, which means, you know, the burden's going to be on, um, on on Michael Michael Pratt. So I almost said Michael Scott like the office. Uh, I don't know where my mind's at. But, you know, I just want to mention those two guys for the group of five.
1: Yeah, no, I'm interested to see how Tulane, just as a program, I'm I'm gonna talk about a, a similar team, but in the opposite fashion. How they're building off of this uh, this Cotton Bowl victory over Caleb Williams, right? Like that was a major win, one of the biggest, if not the biggest, win in Tulane football history. Um, and I'm I'm curious to see how they do. Uh, how? No, they I mean football. it doesn't match
0: the 1932 Rose Bowl, Jackson.
1: It doesn't match that one. Okay. Well, right. I said one of. I said one of um
0: so and think oh, okay about they, they didn't win that one they didn't win that rose bowl my mistake they they lost to usc so that was that was okay. a rubber match all
1: right you know what <laughs> it was not even if they had was the rose bowl really the rose bowl in 1932 so um yeah but yeah, was... yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Um... um but uh but i'm i just googled it because i i had no idea it looks like they have the uh 76th overall um recruiting class for 2023 um that that seems high for Tulane I don't know um but uh but yeah hopefully they can uh they can get that up and build off of this program we've been riding the Michael Pratt hype train for years now I feel like at least one calendar year Um uh, if not a little bit more so
0: since 2021 I think I think before it's the Oklahoma awesome. game we were saying that
1: yeah, so it has been pulled been. out yeah
0: or it, ha- it has done
1: with Jalen Waddell so yeah. Um, yeah. I yeah. mean, yeah,
0: Tulane produces Super Bowl champion quarterbacks. You know, Ryan Griffith, great Super Bowl champion quarterback for the Buccaneers, you know. Um, you know
1: that's a, a wild statement to insinuate <laughs> that they're QBU, but um, but I won't, I won't really. You're, I mean,
0: you're, you're a fake Buccaneers fan to refute that statement then, Jackson. If you can't agree I, that I really Ryan Griffin. Do. I'm
1: just, I'm, no, I'm a fan. Of, I, I can't, uh, I can't believe teams. that. I was
0: I was hyping yeah. up your team. I was hyping up your team and bringing, bringing back. You
1: were and, hyping up Tulane through my team. You're just using the Tampa Bay oh you know. So, yeah, but whatever. I I digress.
0: You know, last time I praised the Buccaneers. Have fun going one in sixteen this year with your quarterback situation. <laughs> wow,
1: you want you want to? I'm gonna. You know what? On on the tweet or X or whatever we're calling it now, I'm gonna CC Old Takes Exposed, and they can you know, uh, Old Takes Exposed. Oh, John by away. a John fan the way. Give me uh, John a fan of all similar. Hey, uh, you know what? They're a fan of similar football teams than me, so I'm sure they'll. Um. But yeah, man. No, I wouldn't want to old takes expose our own podcast, even if it was you making the statement, that that probably just wouldn't be a good idea. So um I will go ahead. Do you want to move on to we have nothing to review? <laughs> um, so we can go ahead and move on to our, our week zero games of the week to watch. Um I did limit us to to two and a half each, only because there, there's not a, a full slate, albeit I'll watch every minute of of the slate we have um it it is not the traditional hard opening of the college football season it is the the soft open the you know the friends and family premiere so to speak so um, I'll let you go ahead and go with your first game of the week to watch and then I'll go with my first
0: I mean yeah this one's obviously the game of the week in a lot of people's minds and you mentioned at the top of this uh, podcast Notre Dame versus Navy in Ireland uh, for the third time in the rivalry's history, and I just want to preface this with preface my analysis with this: with everything happening in college football, the fact that Notre Dame not only decides to remain independent, but decides to keep scheduling Navy because you know it's an eternal friendship between both the uh, both institutions where uh, the Navy opened an officer an officer training program to keep Notre Dame open as a lot of schools closed during World War II. All history aside no matter what happens, like Notre Dame has kept playing uh, Navy. And honestly, I really feel like we're going to hit a tipping point with this rivalry where, you know, I just don't, I feel like it'll become not as feasible for the schools to play with everything happening in college football. So long story short, enjoy it while you can particularly service Academy fans. I've seen a lot of Notre Dame. So a lot of Notre Dame fans enjoy the rivalry, but some there's a lot of minority that tend to, you know, pile on the rivalry. That being said, uh, I think the biggest story of this week zero uh, season is Sam Hartman. Uh, how is Sam Hartman going to adjust playing for Notre Dame? It finally seems—I I won't say finally—but after last year, even though even though Drew Pine and Tyler Tyler Buckner, you know, they were not bad quarterbacks at all. Especially Drew Pine. Drew Pine came out of nowhere and quarterbacked that team well but they weren't Sam Hartman. So I'm I'm intrigued to see Sam Hartman on an offense that doesn't demand so much of him because Wake Forest, I think I saw an advanced stat where over, I think over 70, at least 70, it may have been, may have been over 75% of Wake Forest yards came through air yards. So Wake Forest love to air the ball deep to A.T. Perry and everything. So of course they asked a lot out of Sam Hartman, right? So this, I mean, the Notre Dame offense, for sure, This talent all around him. I mean, not that there wasn't talent at Wake Forest. I, I take that back, but He's got a steady run game. He's got um, geez, the name's the name's escaping me right now, but uh they're 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 running back. Um Audric uh Audric Estime. Yeah, Audric Estime, great power back out of Notre Dame. Um, and then he's got a strong receiving core. He he doesn't have doesn't have baby gronk anymore. or oh, sorry, I wouldn't say baby gronk, young gronk, young gronk, sorry, I slipped up young gronk, um uh, Michael Mayer probably one of my favorite college tight ends in recent in recent memory doesn't have him but there's still plenty of weapons for Notre Dame moving on to Navy Navy is in an interesting situation because their defense last year was stellar averaged about they allowed about 24 points per game they return a lot of starters I think they returned 18 starters this year and the schedule is very favorable they can reach six wins even though they're not one of the most talented teams in the American they, they they have a lot of winnable games the defense returns Last year's Notre Dame Navy game in Baltimore, you saw Navy go down at halftime 35 to thirty or yeah, 35 to 13, and they did not allow another point. And in fact, they almost came back and beat Notre Dame and lost 35 to 32, could didn't recover the onside. But that was a taste of what Navy could do, their defense could do against Notre Dame. Excuse me. So that being said, switching to offense, um, I wanna I want to raise a proposition right here because I'm always for Academy. I mean, the Academies have produced four, sorry, five Heisman Trophy winners, right? Roger Stabach, Joe Bolino, Doc Blanchard, Glenn Davis, Pete Dawkins. So last year, Dabbaful Fan ran for 16 yard for 16 had 16 carries for 138 yards against Notre Dame. Ran rough shot over the fighting Irish. Uh also to another fullback, uh Anton Hall, uh had Seven carries for 99 yards, including a dazzling 77-yard touchdown. One of these fullbacks on national TV and probably the most watched game of the weekend has a 100-yard game, wears down the Notre Dame defense, and maybe somehow wins. What do you think about the the Heisman race right there? Because Notre Dame, is, that is that's a nationally relevant win right there.
1: I'm not going to really like refute your argument as a whole, but I do want to point out, you said you bragged about a 12 carry 99 yard game and then said, including a 77 yard touchdown. Seven carry,
0: seven carry 99 yards.
1: Whatever, seven. Okay, so that implies he went six for 22 in his other carries, which is, I'm doing quick math, like three. Okay, three and a half. That's not as bad as I thought, but still that's, you know, I mean,
0: you know who doesn't love fullbacks, right? You know, and, and Navy has a good core of fullbacks, like Army does this year. So, just putting that out there, you know. Um, you but yeah, a I mean, exactly, exactly. A few teams that proudly uses the fullback. So that there's a lot to watch. Two thirty Eastern time um, on on NBC on the Peacock. Um, only the fourth Notre Dame Navy game will be played at night in ninety six meetings. Did a video about that yeah i didn't
1: know that exactly that's, that's exactly. a sneaky fun fact that i was not aware Fair, of. yeah really i really like that a lot actually so um, yeah interesting okay i'm gonna go ahead i'm gonna go um not as much of a tension gardener Um, although maybe it should because it's it's not in ireland it's not as interesting by default but i think more people should be talking about this i'm gonna go with san jose state at usc before you laugh San Jose State, I think the Spartan schedule is one of the most interesting in college football. I have have three quirks for you in their schedule. They're only two ranked opponents of the season. They're playing the first two weeks of the year, right? On the road at USC, and then they have Oregon State at home the following week, right? So that's the first quirk. Second, from the last full week of September, so from September 23rd all the way into the the first week of November. So September th- 23rd to November 7th, they play one home game, right? That's a very long stretch to just be playing one home game, six weeks. Right. And then my last cork, they play four different time zones throughout the season. They play in on the Hawaiian time zone. They play obviously on the West coast. That's where all their home games are. They play in the mountain time zone. Makes sense. And then they also play in the Eastern time zone on the road at Toledo. So I think it's a really like fascinating thing. I don't even want to know how many miles they'll be traveling. Probably something resembling of the Seahawks mileage per game average for it's just like they're flying all over the place. Um, when you consider Hawaii, having to go to Hawaii and Ohio and your station on the West coast, it's just a lot going on there. Um, so I think it's interesting and this is quite the way to start it off on the road against the former Heisman winner, right. From last year. Um, I will say as far as the, the only X's and O's I have to offer on San Jose state four of their five return, they have four of five returning starters on the offensive line, which is obviously a, a position group you want to retain continuity with uh, their wide receiver room. And really it lacks top end talent, but there's a surprising amount of depth. So just because there's no like, draft prospects that we're talking about this early on doesn't mean that there's like a lot of solid guys. It's just you're not going to see you know a day one or day two pick out of there, but they are all pretty good. And then um they're their leading running back, uh Kyrie Robinson, he's five seven. He is solid, but he's he's a guy. It's not going to be a grounded pound offense, right? Which is not something we expect from San Jose State. But it's a defense that's are an offense that's going to rely a lot. On just like spreading the ball around to these different receivers. There is no Justin Jefferson that you have to lock up and then kind of makeshift with your other like dollar general receivers. Like, no, like you can actually spread the ball around because there's no attention going into any individual spot. And then the run game is going to have to be um, supplemental. It's not going to be your your bread and butter, so to speak. Right. So um, I'll move on to USC. There are plenty of people that have watched a lot more USC tape than me. So I'm going to be short on this. Um, the 2023 season will be their 102nd and final season of the Trojans existence in the PAC 12 or Pacific postal conference. If you want to go back there, just the end of an era, any over hundred year streak in a, a, a sport that has 154 season history is, should be respected and, uh, and warned if it's lost. Um, so I, I, that was a little sad when I read that, um, obviously coming off of the season with the defending Heisman winner, um, I will say, if USC fans have an expectation of a championship in the near future, with the impending transition to the Big Ten, I think this really does have to be the year where you at least you at least get a playoff appearance, right? I think for USC fans, this is a game that like you're chalking it up to a cupcake game versus San Jose State. If you're a, if you're a Spartans fan you're hoping to go 1 and 1 versus USC and Oregon State this is probably the game where you assume you're going to take the L um but it's it's just something interesting so um always be on on upset alert we've seen um we've seen week 0 or a week 1 uh humiliation before by USC I, I think we've all seen the meme of them you know crawling out of the tunnel in an AT&T stadium so Um, Hopefully, obviously, it won't be a repeat of that game, but it will be uh, interesting to see how both of these teams handle the beginning.
0: Yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, definitely, like, uh, and and let's not forget, um, in twenty twenty one, when San Jose State was fresh off their Mountain West title, the pandemic year, they played USC very close. I mean, that was a very closely contested game until USC pulled away late. I I mean, I'm not gonna. This is a better USC team for sure, so I'm not gonna say that that's what's gonna happen, but. I really feel like I kind of wish this game was on Fox or on any of the networks or ESPN at that, because a lot of people still don't realize how good Chevin Cordero is. Um, and he's still, it's amazing he's still in college. This is his sixth year. That's a six year of eligibility. Started at Hawaii, and then of course, everything that happened with Todd Graham, um, that disaster of a tenure kind of chased him out of Hawaii. Um, his home is I mean his home state, sadly. Sadly that had to happen, but sent him to San Jose State. And Cordero last year had 23 touchdowns, passing the ball, 3,200 passing yards, nine touchdowns on the ground as well. And for his honors, he was the preseason Mountain West Offensive Player of the Year. So a very seasoned quarterback. And the fact he picked him over Talon Green of Boise State, who pretty much turned the season around after they lost to UTEP uh, last year in late September, Uh, it's really great that that he won that honor over Talon Green. To be honest, it says a lot about Cordero. So... Honestly, I feel like I mean, I feel like um, if Cordero beats if Cordero and San Jose somehow finds a way to find a way to beat the defending, you know, Heisman winner, uh, Caleb Williams and USC. I definitely feel like Cordero is in the Heisman race, you know, because he is well regarded on the West Coast, well regarded, um, you know, on especially in the Mountain West. Uh, will that happen? I, I, I wanted to, but I don't I don't think it will. But I just wanted to make that note about Cordero for sure, being one of the sleeper quarterbacks, honestly, come, you know, come the draft process.
1: No, absolutely. I mean, not enough attention is given to a lot of these guys, and that's part of why I feel like we started with this podcast, right, to talk about the guys that aren't talked about enough in the national media. So, um, yeah, it'll be – It'll be uh it'll be fun to watch. Um, I hope it's I mean, all we can really hope for is like a competitive game, right? I'm not under the illusion that San Jose State is actually gonna pull out the W in this one, but I I do want it to be something that is um competitive enough that you can tune in and and put one of your uh two, three, or preferably four TVs on in the week week zero, uh week zero kickoff. So um I'll let you go ahead and go with your second game of the week to go with yeah
0: so my second game of the week um is going to be umass versus new mexico state and this is a game that all the sickos are just like oh it's so cool say new mexico state on national tv against umass on espn it's like no 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 we're looking at the wrong way like this shouldn't be a source of comedy we're getting to see a team that won its second bowl in 62 years right this is these are the stories that make college football so rich and it's also an indictment of the sport that we have right that a team can go 60 years without making a bowl game, despite having multiple winning records, all because they're not profitable. Um, I digress. And then we get to watch an experienced coach ride off and try to write off into the sunset uh, in Don Brown, a coach that has traveled, you know, the States with big programs took UMass, uh, to the FCS title game, um, in two thousand six. So we get to see these runs, and you get to see Diego Pavia. And the great thing with Diego, I don't, I don't think anyone ended the season hotter aside from Bo Nix, than Diego Pavia did. Because you look at their game against um, their their game against uh Liberty, right? They were like I think like twenty five or point underdogs or something like that, 24 point underdogs, something like that. They end up blowing out Liberty, a uh, checked out Liberty team with once all the, the Hugh Freeze rumors started to float around and Pavia won national player of the week from a couple of uh, services. Then you go um, a couple weeks down the road where they played uh, Valparaiso. Yeah. Or the next week where they played Valparaiso uh, the day, a couple of days after they got their waiver to be in a bowl game, after they tragically lost, after they lost the game after the tragic death of a San Jose state player. Um, but after that, Diego Pavia had one of the most jaw-dropping stat lines I've ever seen in my life. I think he was eight for twelve for over three hundred yards. I'm gonna check that right now. But Diego Pavia again, like, just caught people's eyes. Um, I gotta look at the stat line because truly was one of the most amazing things I've seen. His stat lines against, even though Valparaiso, yes, it's like a non-scholarship program. Like to, to throw for over three hundred yards in um, on only eight passes. And his stat line for that game, sorry, nine for thirteen. 323 yards, four touchdowns. One of the, probably the greatest stat line I've seen from a quarterback. And then in the bowl game too, only bowl game of the day against Bowling Green had a strong performance there. Willed New Mexico state to victory at the lion stadium. Honestly, he was probably the best quarterbacking performance that year uh, in Ford field. Um, you know, even though I'm mean, not, that's not an insult to Jared Goff. That's just shows you how great Diego Pavia is, but Um, that being said, Diego Pavi's on people's radars. People are excited to watch Pavia play. Uh, so the thing is, I mean, the thing is, like, uh, New Mexico State will run the ball, they have a lot of depth on offense. They return their top, I think, six rushers. Let me write in my notes. They return, yeah, they return their top seven rushers on offense. The defense was strong last year. Uh, they only allowed 24 points per game, but they allowed, uh, but they only returned four returning starters, which takes me to UMass. UMass is a team that had moments last year. And I'm not saying that this is the, you know, a nationally, you know, prominent team a team that's going to contend for titles. But last year, UMass, they played Texas AM. I think Texas AM was only up 13 to 3 at Kyle Field against UMass late in the year. Last year they lost to Eastern Michigan, who had one of their best years since the 1980s. They lost to them 20 to 13. And they lost to this New Mexico state team at home 23 to 13. So excuse me. So UMass likes to run the ball they're going to want to shorten this game against New Mexico state, really make it a rock fight. And I think they have the team, they, they have the team to do. So they return their second leading rusher, K Ron Adams. They return, they um, have Tyson Fomachon, who was a Clemson transfer, then a, then a Georgia tech transfer. And now he's at, um now he's at UMass and he runs the ball. Well, was using wildcat packages for Georgia tech, um, and I think he's the right guy, you know, if you want to turn games into rock fights and shorten games like UMass needs to do. So this game was a sneaky good game. And I think it's gonna be closer than people think I, I've seen a lot of people, a lot of people, including myself are high on the Yaggies this year, uh, making a bowl game. Um, so that's one to watch.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are a lot of games to watch. Um, but that is, uh, or not, not enough, but still a lot. So no, I I appreciate you bringing all those points with that one. Um, we can go ahead. I'll go with my second game of the week to watch for week zero. Um, I'm gonna go with Ohio at San Diego State. <laughs> Ohio is a really interesting team this year. It's the third season under head coach Tim Albin right? Um, last year ended in a, a thrilling bowl win and an appearance in the MAC title game. Um, returning this year is uh, at least on the offense running back uh, Sean Allison or, or Sean Allison for his final year after missing all of 2022. The last time, uh, last time he played a full season, averaged six yards per carry on 138 carries, so pretty solid. And 100 or one third of his yards last year were actually from receptions, so very much an all-purpose threat with that. Um, the biggest question I think for Ohio is can they stop the run? This is something I got from college football news. One common denominator in all four of Ohio's losses was that they were one and four on the season when allowing more than five yards per carry. They were nine and 0 when allowing fewer than five yards per carry so obviously yeah no kidding you want to stop the run you don't want to allow more than five yards per carry but it's rare that you see such a a stark differentiation between um less than five and more than five right so um ohio does have a pretty high number of returning starters they did lose one of their best offensive linemen and they did lose their best wide receiver so they're going to have to find their strong suits pretty quickly on offense but i think it's a team that's going to be fun to watch this year and we'll definitely keep an eye on for bulls and boos uh for san diego state um new they have a new offensive coordinator and uh an sdsu great ryan linley um, uh, he's going to bring a lot more to the passing game more than anything. As a former NFL quarterback coach, he, he spent some time in Cleveland also spent three years as an analyst for various power five schools. Um, as far as the run game goes, it's very much going to be running back by committee. Jalen Armstead, Cam Davis, Keenan, Kristen are, are all going to fill in that role. Now that Jordan bird has, uh, moved on to the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, definitely not going to play football for the, uh, for the Aztecs. So. Um, I think it's just going to be a fun game to watch. It's two teams that have a lot of unknowns going into this next year. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing both of them. So Ohio, uh, it's hard to top the, uh, the finish that they had the last season, uh, San Diego state, obviously uh, are. Uh, uh, I think we have a friend of the podcast that uh, is a noted uh, San Diego state fan. And it's, it's going to be a uh, fun to watch and wish them all the best along. So.
0: Yeah, I mean, I agree. And two names for you, Curtis Rourke and C.A. Bangura for Ohio. Curtis Rourke, if you watch the CFL at all, you knew that Nathan Rourke set the CFL on fire. And now he's competing for a roster spot in the Jacksonville Jaguars. C.A. Bangura, over 1,000-yard rusher, I believe, last year, or he got close to it. But really a great back and a long line of great uh, Ohio Ohio backs. You know, you have um, Bo Blankenship. You have um, Calvin McRae from, you know, our childhood back in the mid-2000s. So that one definitely should be good. I mean, this is like, this isn't your dad's or I guess shouldn't be your dad's, I guess, but might as well be us, our childhood Ohio teams that, you know, like to run the ball down your throat. I mean, Curtis Rourke can, you know, light up the sky and he got hurt last year. So I like to think that if Curtis Rourke was, was playing, even though, even though Dante Miller did a great job at quarterback uh, for the Bobcats, especially in the Arizona bowl, I like to think if Rourke wasn't hurt, they would have won the MAC title game and ended there. Fifty-five year drought of MAC titles truly is a sad drought. So, going on to my last game, football in the Borderlands has never been better. Um, I know. Um, I know. Colin Deaver, the local news anchor down here, is predicting that both New Mexico State and UTEP will go to a bowl for the first time ever, and I believe that's true. I believe that definitely will happen. So, week zero, we got. UTEP versus Jacksonville State uh, on CBS Sports Network, the first game of the day. I believe it's at not 2 Eastern. I believe it's at 3 Eastern time. I'll have to check that. But UTEP has probably one of the more underrated quarterbacks. And I know a lot of teams, Um, like I will not say a lot of teams, a lot of scouts like Gavin Hardison as a late pick. But going back to September 23rd, uh, you know, September 24th, I guess. No, so yeah, September 23rd, last year against Boise State on the Friday night, he didn't have the flashiest performance. But the nation saw how efficient and great at managing the game, Gavin Hardison could be. And I know game managers thrown around in a negative light a lot of times, but Hardison was in full control of that game. He went ten for eleven for one hundred twenty eight yards, made some great throws, uh, ran the ball well a few times, and Gavin Hardison really benefits when the play calling is in his favor. Uh, if you look at his you look at his completion percentage, fifty two percent last year. Um, and that's because UTEP like throw throw the ball deep when they would get behind it would throw the ball deep, um, so that you know that that didn't really work out to his benefit. And also too, Utah returns Tyron Smith, a thousand yard receiver. A couple of years ago, we we're talking about Jacob Cowing, one of the best uh, receivers in the country in 2020, went to uh, Arizona, transferred to Arizona. I mean, UTEP keeps producing these wide receivers, It's this is great to see. And, of course, they like to run the ball. Aaron Jones, if you're an NFL fan, you think about Aaron Jones. But, you know, in a DJ Dimmel scheme that likes to use a fullback, um, last year they had James Tupo, big James Tupo, running the ball a couple of times uh, at fullback for UTEP. They have big Deion Hankins, a 230-pound 230, 230 uh, pound back, that averaged five yards of carry and 700 yards last year. They lose Ronald Awat, but Hankins, I expect honestly, I feel like Deion Hankins has the potential to – up to exceed 200 carries on the year i really do he's that type of workhorse going to jacksonville state the big story there is they are in their first year of fbs transition period picked last by phil Steele to finish in conference usa but i wouldn't write them off this is a team that went nine and two last year in fcs this is a team that beat florida state uh, a couple years ago or yeah 2021 uh you know on that on that infamous hail mary uh against the seminoles and they have zion webb at quarterback. Uh, who, of course, can not only sling the ball, he can run it well, well too, with 647 yards and 13 touchdowns. And the game being at home helps, not having to deal with the altitude down here, in El Paso helps Jacksonville State. So this game will be a close game, I think, than people, you know, think.
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, it's going to be uh, just fun to watch. I know uh, I do work part of that day, but I'm looking forward to as much as I can, um, just watching and inhaling all the college football that I've- that we both can so that's going to be a fun start to the season it's the the appetizer right to the to the you know 13 course meal that we get throughout the the entire year um it's the it's one of the most fun weeks you know so um i'm really excited but we've come a long way um since uh since oh my gosh it was central arkansas in
0: Austin,
1: austin pa yeah, for the, the, yeah, yeah. That's right for the the post covid 2020 season opener. We've come a long way since that. A um, lot more to talk about. So, yeah, that, those are my only two games to start off. Uh, to start off for week zero, any anything more uh, to add before we hop off?
0: Yeah, one more thing. Uh, this year, uh, this is probably the second best game, or you know, in some, you know, I, I'd be willing to argue also tied for first for the best game, if not better than Notre Dame Navy. We have the 2021 Celebration Bowl rubber match between Jackson State and South Carolina State. And it's not on ESPN. It's on ABC in primetime. What a what a stage for HBCU football to just get a Saturday night football slot on ABC. I expect the ratings to be great. I know the ratings were amazing once they switched it to, to week zero. Once they switched to the Meagaswack so Challenge to week zero, uh, it had amazing ratings. And that was when it was on ESPN. And this year, too, Jackson State's a household name, even without Coach Deion Sanders. But I wouldn't count out South Carolina State. You know, I made the mistake of counting out South Carolina State before the 2020-21 Celebration Bowl. But they dominated the Tigers in that game.
1: Did you see my um my post on Instagram? It was about just the the success of the Miac versus the SWAC in recent years. And it's actually yes. a winning record for the MIAC. And by a wide margin, I was I was surprised by that. But I, don't know, I don't know why I was, but I was surprised uh, to to see that um in writing, at least so. Yeah. So uh, but, I mean,
0: um, I think uh, our friend Dwayne uh from the yard, friend of the podcast, he he attributes that to the MIAC being a more physical conference in terms of You know well the way they play because you have Delaware State who plays a you know physical brand of football. South Carolina State they play great defense. I mean they have you know they produce Javon Hargrave, uh, Shaq Leonard almost. Yeah, Shaq Shaq Leonard
1: Leonard, not the first name out of your mouth when you were talking about. Yeah, I know Shaq Leonard too. I I was going in order. If you want to talk about physicality and football, Shaq Leonard is one of the first names to be talked about. Much less like for South Carolina State. So, but I'll I'll move on.
0: But, and yeah. that's that's like that's the brand of football South Carolina State plays it's not flashy yeah. by any means but uh this year they returned two starters on or two um, all Miak preseason team starters on uh, on defense all first team and of course they returned front of the podcast uh first uh first team uh preseason all miac punter Dyson Roberts who had probably one of the greatest uh bowl, uh punting performances in any bowl game in history back in 2021 so that one if Game day probably should have went to that one to be honest with you. On like it's got the ABC glitz and glamour, like. But I digress.
1: Yeah, if they were going to go to any uh, any game in week zero, um, that is uh, state side, that would definitely be the one in my opinion. But, uh again, get the studio show. So, will I watch every minute of it? Yes, but I won't be happy about it. So, actually, no, I'll be thrilled about it. I can't wait to see it see Kirk shoot's face again so um <laughs> uh yeah man that's pretty much it for me I know we're gonna record our uh our week one preview shortly thereafter um but yeah anything else you got any preseason football notes for the national football you want to throw in tidbits no but just just
0: EJ Perry signed by the Texans EJ Perry had an amazing uh, he showed the world what he can do, honestly, in the USFL uh late last season. So I just want to shout out EJ Perry. We've both been on the e- e- EJ and Perry
1: guns You didn't use this opportunity to talk about DTR. Um, I will say uh Omar, I'm ashamed to admit as we're recording this, I I do have the, the uh Cincinnati-Atlanta preseason game on mute. Um B. John Robinson, Drake London both have made some phenomenal plays on the past couple drives. So um, this Falcons offense is, is looking scary. Uh, and I didn't even mention the name Kyle Pitts. So uh, that should, that should say something. But
0: yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that's all I have. Yeah. DTR has been tearing it up. I mean, I've been always been a huge DTR fan for sure. Um, but until next time, everyone peace, love, and soul.